0: You're listening to the Harborside Church podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome, church. It's good to be here. How are you feeling? Fine, good. Okay, thanks, John. Thanks for that loud answer. How are you, how are you feeling really? You know, do you find that kind of irritating when people do that? How are you doing? How are you really doing? It's kind of a, a creepy and weird thing to ask. But, but I'm asking that. I'm, how, how are you feeling? Feeling tired? Anyone feeling tired? Yep, okay. Now, I don't know how this happened, folks. I don't know how this happened. But somehow we have found ourselves now living with a tiny dog in our house. We have got a puppy. The Hanburys got a puppy. I don't know how it happened. Our kids were pestering us for about two years and we finally caved in. And now we're looking at each other going, how did this happen? We have a dog living in our house. So if you're asking the Hanbury's how are you feeling this week, we'd say a little bit weary, a bit tired, because the dogs cry at night and it's a terribly sad sound, and it keeps you up. But anyway, we're trying to stay strong and all that kind of... So we're feeling a little bit weary this week because there's a new puppy in our house. But my question to you about being tired goes a little deeper. Well, I'm trying to get a little deeper. Tony asked Rob and Ann about the Sabbath, about having a day off for a reason, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about rest this morning. I ask you about tiredness. I'm trying to get a little bit deeper than the surface level tiredness that we are all feeling, I'm sure. Here's the question I really want to ask. Have you experienced any real rest lately? When was the last time you experienced good, satisfying rest? That's a good question, isn't it? We're a few weeks into our series, putting your faith to work. We are trying to connect our faith with what we do. Sunday with the other six days, does the Christian faith have anything to say to our working lives? Now, we would say a big resounding yes, and we're spending seven weeks exploring how much that is the case. Kara spoke to us last week on our identity. We are far more than what we do. Talk a bit more about that later on. Today, we're talking about rest Sabbath. If you've been around the church, you've probably heard that term before. If you don't know what it means, don't worry. We'll define it. We'll talk all about it this morning. What we do when we aren't at work, that helps us when we work. That's what we're looking at. That make sense? What we're doing when we're not at work, how that helps us when we are working. That's what we're talking about. Does anyone else need a good rest? Does anyone feel like they need a good rest? Is it only me? Me and Jen. Okay, a few people. You can admit it here. It's a safe place. I feel like I need a good rest. Now, I kind of want to be honest. I'll be honest a little bit throughout this. I feel like this is the height of irony for me to be speaking about this today. I am not someone that switches off well. So it is only recently that I've really begun to implement some of these things in my life and really think about them seriously. More on that later. What do we make of this idea of Sabbath, of having a day off? If we like the idea, what does that even look like? Should there be any structure? that? There? What, is it, what does it mean when we do it well? And what does it mean when we do it terribly or we can't do it? What is that saying about our hearts? What are we experiencing? What, what's going on in our hearts when we experience restlessness? Why do we desire this rest really at a deeper level? There's a lot of questions there, okay? I'm not going to answer all of them exhaustively today, but I just want to dive into this topic. I'm going to kind of kick the dust up on this topic. I want to irritate you into thinking about this, maybe for the first time. Rob and I can absolutely relate to you. Uh, my observance of, of something like this is utterly haphazard. So I'm learning with you, but I, I reckon God has something to teach us about this subject of Sabbath, of taking a rest today. So are you with me? Do you want to experience some rest? Not really. Okay, you're all resting good. Come on. Are you with me? Okay. It's, it's really hard to tell behind those masks. It's, can everyone just smile for me right now? Go, smile. So I know what it looks like. Okay, good. Because some people have that resting kind of, you know, face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, when I smile, my eyes really smile so I can look like I'm sleeping probably. So just so I know what's sleeping and what's smiling. Okay, so I'm watching there. All right. It's not easy preaching to a room full of masked faces. But anyway, all right. So I want to ask, why does God care about this? This feels a little self-helpy. Why does God care about it? So today we're going to go deep and rich. I'm not going to apologize for that. We're going to be looking at what the Bible says about it. We're going to be looking at a bit of theology, but don't worry. We're not going to look at ever, hopefully at this church, look at irrelevant theology. There's no such thing that sh- theology uh, apart from our daily lives. Okay, so we're going to look at it, but then we're going to get really practical as well. Let's do this together. We've got to ask, why do we struggle with this? Is there any hope for our weary souls? Okay, can I paint a picture for you? Let me paint a picture. You ready? Everyone take a deep breath. Ready? And breathe out COVID. Okay, no, I'm kidding. Okay, breathe out. You ready? Picture this. It's the morning. You just wake up and you feel refreshed. The fogginess is gone. Your head's clear. A deep part of you feels kind of full. You could even maybe describe yourself as feeling content. Your mind flicks back to the day before. Images come into your mind of good food, good drink, wine, laughter. Fun times with friends or family. Times when your soul felt refreshed. You may be walking amongst nature in the mountains, in the forest or along the beach. Time with loved ones, intimate moments with your spouse. Picture bathrobes, pillows, good sleep. And now you're back to that morning. You've got a full day of work ahead of you, a full week, but you think, I can do this. You feel like you have the capacity for what's ahead and you know that in six days' time, you'll have the opportunity to do all of this again. How does that sound? Sound good? Does that sound good? Okay, let's all go and do that. Let's pray. Let's all go. No, I'm kidding. But what I've just described may not be your perfect idea of a break, all right? So you sub in whatever, we're going to get practical, we'll talk about it in a moment. You sub in whatever you would enjoy But I want to be real, okay? There's there's not many in the last service, absolutely, but not many in this room that have young kids. But for those of you who have young kids, you might be thinking, thanks for the trip down memory lane, okay? It's going to be 10 years at least before I can do that again. Wherever you're at, I know it's not just young parents. There are seasons in our lives that we are not as in control of how we spend our time. Of how, of how we do the rhythms of work and rest. I get that. But here's what I think is really important to say this. What I've just described, a feeling of refreshment, a period of time where your soul is refreshed, where your body has a chance to recover, it's not just a nice to have. It's not just a, oh, I remember doing that once, you know, three and a half years ago. It's not just a nice to have. It is vital to our health and well-being. Get this. We'll look at this in depth in a moment. God commanded his people to rest. One in seven. He commanded. Do you know what the penalty was for disobeying this commandment? Death. That's not a joke. The penalty was death for disobeying this commandment. God takes rest seriously. Do you? Do I? As modern-day Christians, do we? Oh, man, I really want to look at that. God takes it seriously. Now, we are new covenant people, of course. We are all about grace. But just because we're all about grace doesn't mean we're not about good discipline, right? Just because we're all about grace doesn't mean we're not about good spiritual disciplines that bring us life. Violating that we're still... Because we're New Testament people, right? We we are freed from the demands of the law, but to violate them still has consequences. More on that later. Okay. So having a day off, experiencing rest—it's vital to our health. And get this—it's God's idea. It's not we didn't come up with that ourselves. It is God's idea. All right. How do we know that? Where does this idea of rest come from? Well, you know what? It comes pretty early on in the Bible. As early as the first book of the Bible, the second chapter, we know the story of creation. God, uh, God created the world. Sorry, I've just stepped on my <coughs> shoelace it's coming up. So um, God created the world in six days and on the seventh day, he rested. That's right. He rested. We know that. Have you thought about that before? It's kind of strange. God rested. Was he tired? I mean, I imagine the work of bringing about creation is pretty huge. Stars, suns, galaxies, animals, I mean, everything, right? It's an enormous job, but was God tired? Did he need a rest? We worship an infinite God. God just didn't get tired. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. So why did he rest? I think at least one of the reasons is God is sowing into the very fabric of creation this rhythm of work and rest. And we are made in the image of God. We are to imitate that. Work and rest. It's in creation. You look at creation. It it, it mimics this, this idea of work and rest, of toil, labor, sweat, and stopping to recover. Now, this idea is further developed in the Ten Commandments. As I mentioned before, God gives a clear law to his people. Don't work for one day. Can we look at it for a minute? Let's have a look. Verse 8 from Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We'll look at what that means in a minute. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. He relates it back to creation here. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now remember God's people were in slavery in Egypt. How do you think that was for them? You reckon they got a day off? No. They were mercilessly worked. Can you imagine working like hard labor without a break? I wonder how many of them died from exhaustion. We don't know, but how awful. Now, this Hebrew word, let's have a think about it. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew word Shabbat. There you go. Now you know a Hebrew word, Shabbat. And it just means to stop. That's it. Cease, desist. It's a day of stopping. Sabbath, day of stopping. What else? I love what this says here. The Lord blessed it and made it holy. Blessed, set apart. There's a big point I want to make this morning. You ready? If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Guys, the Sabbath is a gift. The Sabbath is a gift. It's not a burden. It's a gift for you. The language of blessing, it's God's vehicle for generosity. Guys, he's trying to give us a gift. The God of creation, the God who made you, the God who knit you together, the God who knows you better than you know yourself, he's trying to give you a gift. Do you want it? Would you want it? Rest is a gift. Now, God, in this context, he's giving a way of life to his people. He's fashioning a people, Israel. He's bringing them out of Egypt, preparing them to go to the promised land. He gives them the Ten Commandments. They're a blessing. If we as a community follow the Ten Commandments, it would be the best place ever, right? He's trying to give his people the best way to live. Come out here, hey guys, don't kill each other. Don't steal from each other. Don't be jealous of each other's belongings and take a day off, one in seven. It'll be good for you. It's a blessing. It's a gift. When Israel stopped their work for one whole day, they're doing something that's not easy. It's no surprise they struggled to keep it. They struggled to keep it. Now in the commandment in Exodus 20, right? We just read that. God's linking it back to what he did in creation. I worked, I rested, you work, you rest. But there's way more to it than that. When God's people stop work for one whole day, think about this with me, what are they doing? Think about it. You work, 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 stop. When often your work life, when your life depends on producing something, when you stop doing it, what are you doing? It's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. It's an act of trust. I'm not going to produce, I'm going to stop and I'm going to trust that God can provide. I think this is why we struggle so much to stop. I'm going to trust that I've done enough, that God is he's able to provide for me. He's good. He will provide for me in ways that I need. He can provide for me. He will provide for me. There is one day I don't have to produce in order to exist. I am far more than what I do, right? It's, it's a great way of practicing it. Stopping for one day is in itself an act of worship. Have we thought about that? It's an act of worship by stopping. This, I think, is part of what's going on in our reading today that Daniel read for us. Kind of a strange story. It happens before the Ten Commandments were given, and that's Exodus 20. Exodus 16, what's the context? God's people are grumbling. They're really good at complaining. I just feel for Moses the more and more I read, man, leading God's people. They complain so much. Just, I'm so thankful that we are nothing like that. Hey, We never complain, always content. God's people are complaining about being hungry in the desert. I get that. So what does God do? Of course, he provides for them, doesn't he? He gives them meat in the evening and manna in the morning, this little sort of wafery bread stuff. They say, what is it? That's what manna means in Hebrew. It just means, what is it? They didn't know what to call it. I love that little factoid. So God says, collect it on six six days. Don't collect more than you need because it'll go rotten overnight. Now, what's that? That's an act of trust that God will provide the next day, yeah? But on the sixth day, collect more for the seventh day. It won't rot on that day. Just trust me on this. There's not going to be any on the ground on the seventh day. You won't need it. What you've collected the day before will be enough for you. And here's the introduction to this idea of on that seventh day, I don't want you to collect To gather, to produce, I want you to rest. Let's have a look at it together. This will be helpful. Verse 25 of chapter 16. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any on the ground today. Like we said, six days you to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Don't you trust me? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That's why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Guys, everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one's to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. I I don't know about you. I can really relate to those people that went out on the seventh day. You know, we will just kind of see if there's any there. I know he said it, but, you know, maybe we need more. Maybe I don't have enough. It's an act of trust, isn't it? What I have is enough. Have you ever said that? When will enough ever be enough? We'll talk about that in a moment. What I have, I'm content with. I trust him to provide. I'm not in control. Now, this might sound really obvious, but when we rest, when we, when we set us apart some time to not produce, this is what we're doing. We're acknowledging God as creator and us as creature. We're saying, it's is worship, isn't it? You're infinite. I'm finite. I love saying that. You, I'm... We live within the limits of space and time, don't we? Bodily limits of strength and energy. He doesn't. The longer I live, the more I'm realizing that there are limits to our capacities. Emotionally, mentally. Relationally, spiritually, I'm not God. You are not God. He can be all things to all people. You can't, I can't. He can be in two places at once. We can't. He doesn't need to sleep. You do. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is have a really good sleep. Does it sound weird coming from a pastor? (laughs) We are integrated beings. We're not you know, physical, spiritual. We are one integrated person. And often some, when people are feeling far away from God, we need rest. We need to rest our bodies, but we need spiritual rest too. More on that in a minute. Practicing the Sabbath is embracing a creatureliness, creatureliness. That's hard to say. Creatureliness and dependence on God. It's not an easy thing to do, right? All right. Confession time. You, not for me. Confession time. These are concepts I'm embarrassed to say have not been unknown to me theologically. Everything I've just said to you, I've known for a long time. But I tell you what, they've been virtually unknown to me in practice for many, many years, or at least have been for a very long time. I'm slowing down now, but for a very long time, I had two gears full throttle and asleep. I really didn't know how to exist any other way. If I were to do something, I would do it to the absolute best of my ability, but the most amount of energy I could possibly give it, and then I would collapse asleep. It's like my puppy at the moment, right? It just goes, it collapsed for sleep, it collapsed for sleep, like every little hour or so. It's pretty funny. That's, that's me. I've got uh, This is not good. I've had some concept of resting, but in the past, a day off for me, was still about achieving, you know, doing something really exciting. There's nothing wrong with that, but actually maybe there is something wrong with that. 100% are asleep, you know, day off. Let's climb that mountain. Let's. I mean, I feel sorry for Pip. My wife, I dragged along on all these adventures. I think part of me was chasing adrenaline. You know, as I've begun to slow down, I would get very frustrated with my body when it, when it wouldn't catch up. I'd just feed it more adrenaline and caffeine. Unfortunately, I have to say, I didn't really understand. There is a lot of life to be lived between 100% and asleep. I am a student in this space. Please be patient with me. Now, there is another truth, another reality present when God's people practice the Sabbath. And it's a beautiful one. We looked at this idea just before. You could call it a creation mandate. It's God's common grace on people. It's good for us to have a day off and recognize God as God. But there's more at play. In the book of Deuteronomy, when the law is repeated before Israel goes into the promised land, remember God's people won it for 40 years. A generation died out. They didn't enter the promised land. And now Moses stands before them and says, the whole book of Deuteronomy is a whole sermon. I mean, you think my sermons are long. Just go and read Deuteronomy, okay? A whole sermon Moses gives to God's people saying, when... You're about to enter the promised land. Will you do what God wants you to do? Because it will go well with you. He wants to bless you. The people say, Yes, we will do it. When the law for the Sabbath is repeated, a little footnote's tagged on. Another element of how we worship God in having a day off it's this, Deuteronomy 5 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty and a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Why is that there, Israel people? Remember, you were saved from slavery. Did you save yourselves? If it were up to you, you'd still be there. It's trapped in slavery to Pharaoh. God saved you. So why is this relevant now? So when you practice the Sabbath, remember His grace and mercy. Remember what He did and that he's worthy of trusting. Look what he did for you. So on the Sabbath, God's people practice dependence by not doing, by ceasing production, by stopping work, and remembering what God's done for them in saving them from slavery. Okay, it's kind of this Old Testament overview. Man, I could could spend so much more time on this. I've cut out so much. I'm not going to cover everything. That's okay. It's just an introduction, right? Remember? Where did the idea and practice practice of the Sabbath go from there? Where did it go? Let's have a look at it in Jesus' day briefly, and then we're going to look at us, okay? Because I think this has skewed our vision for Sabbath. Now, I think quite a few of us are familiar with the concept of the Sabbath in Jesus' day. Let's go back a bit. In Old Testament times, what did the people struggle with a lot? A couple thousand years before Jesus, they really wanted to be like every other nation around them and so they f- fell into idolatry, worshipping other gods, and they, f- they didn't really practice the Sabbath very well until they were exiled from their land. They came back. A few hundred years later, Jesus is born. Now the struggle is not idolatry. You won't find that in the New Testament. The struggle is not them struggling to keep the Sabbath. It's actually the opposite. Let's have a look. That's not their struggle. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, particularly the Pharisees, were really concerned that the Sabbath was kept, oh boy, with, I would say, pretty good intentions. Not a great result, though. So they added just extra laws and extra laws just to make sure that people didn't even accidentally do work. Now, many of us know this kind of thing, or we've seen this before. The hardest job the rabbis had was to define what work was, and they wrote a lot about it. One rabbi said this, I love it. Rabbi said this, "The rules about the Sabbath are as mountains hanging by a hair. For scripture is scanty as in not much, and rules are many. So it's in this context that Christ is born and ministered. And he had lots of arguments with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. Do you remember? One time, he's walking through the fields, his uh, disciples are hungry, they see the wheat, it's, it's sort of bloomed, they grab the heads, and they, they're having a snack on their way. The Pharisees see them and go, "Oh, that looks like work." It wasn't actually violating any laws, but it looked a little bit like, well, you can't do that. What do you want me to do, starve? So Jesus has an argument with them about that. Jesus loves to heal on the Sabbath. There's a reason for it, I think, to try and expose what's going on in the religious leaders' hearts. You see, he would heal on the Sabbath, which was not illegal on the Sabbath. You could water your horse on the Sabbath. So Jesus says, what's wrong with healing someone from a horrible disease on the Sabbath? Isn't isn't rest about restoration. Jesus is exposing the Pharisees' hearts. They care more about maybe a law being broken than someone in their congregations being healed from a debilitating disease, right? So what's the problem now? It's a classic human heart, right? We make religion out of everything. The Pharisees and their desire to keep the law missed the point. Remember what was the earliest point? I said, if you forget, if you remember nothing else, remember this. The Sabbath is a gift. Pharisees missed it. It's a blessing. It's a celebration. It's a beautiful thing. They made it a burden. I better make sure I keep the Sabbath. No. It's a blessing, right? Jesus says it. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for humanity, for people. Not, you, you don't have to fulfill it. No, 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 it's for you. It's a gift. So where does that leave us regarding the Sabbath? Well, in Jesus' saying, the Sabbath was made for you, not you for the Sabbath. Doesn't mean it has no place in the life of the Christian. I think we just kind of have left it there, you know? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Great. I don't have to keep it. Whoa, hang on. That's not the end of the story. So I grew up in church. I Went away from it for a little while, but came back in my sort of mid-teenage years. And I must admit, I don't reckon I heard any teaching on the Sabbath. I don't know about you, if you grew up in the church. The most I heard about it was what I've just discussed, you know, Jesus fighting with the Pharisees in the Gospels about the Sabbath. And and the, the message loud and clear was, we're free. We're a people of grace. We no longer have to keep the burden of the law because Jesus Christ has set us free. So we hear that loud and clear and then not much else. What are we missing if the Sabbath was actually meant to be a gift from God? Now, I think the modern evangelical church kind of is to blame. I'm a part of it. We've majored on certain spiritual disciplines and been incredibly silent on others, right? We have majored on prayer and reading the Bible. They're good. We should absolutely do them. We've been virtually silent on fasting, silence, solitude, and Sabbath. Last week, I went at a conference retreat, and uh, they didn't really tell us the program. And then the night before, we're like, oh, we're going to do a dawn service. And then the next morning, we're going to have six and a half hours of fasting, silence, and solitude. Whew. I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm an extrovert, you know. And I was just, I was pretty, I was nervous. Can I be honest? I was nervous about that. That's a long time. No phones, no technology. You weren't allowed to go back to your room. And all of us were like, oh, we wanted to sleep. <laughs> but... It's one of the first times I've really ever done that. And can I say, I found it absolutely refreshing. I absolutely loved it. I can tell you about that more another time. But we've largely been silent about those spiritual practices, those disciplines that can be really good for us. So, but now we can't just blame the church. Really easy to do. We can't just blame the church. So let's blame the culture for a minute. Can we do that? Let's throw some stones at our culture for a moment. Because we need to really realize Where we're living and why this is so hard. I think we need to understand why we're terrible at at retreating, at taking a break, at keeping the Sabbath. Let's have a look. Our current cultural and technological world is completely opposed to the idea of you having a rest, of you switching off. You probably might be familiar with statistics like this. On average, you will see about 4,000 ads a day. That's a day, 4,000 advertisements a day. And do you know what they're primarily designed to do, those ads? Make you feel discontent. That's what they're designed to do. That's the science behind it, right? I am not don't want to throw any huge stones at advertising firms. If you work with them, I understand. This is the culture we kind of live in. Consumerism is the way, but we just need to know what we're living in. They're designed to make you feel discontent. You know why? Because content people don't consume products. They're designed to make us feel inadequate and incomplete unless you have what they're marketing, right? Here's the problem. Well, here's here's why it works so well. Because you are discontent. Because I am discontent. Discontentment is the default position of the human heart since the fall right? You could discontent, you could define that as restlessness. We are absolutely restless and discontent. There's a reason, because you and I were made for God, to be satisfied in Him, and nothing else will do it for us. We're spoiled. Nothing else will do it for us. These advertising companies are monetizing our restlessness. I wonder if you thought about this before. Uh, It's actually pretty recently I've, I've discovered this. Our desire, our wanting, our desire is infinite. It's infinite. Our desire is infinite. Your wanting is unable to be satisfied. There is not enough things to satisfy us. There's not enough toys to buy, things to own, people to sleep with, connections to be made, houses to renovate, you name it, there's not enough of it to satisfy. Ecclesiastes says, the eye never has enough of seeing nor the ear its fill of hearing. It's like throwing a bunch of pebbles into the Grand Canyon and hope it fills up. It's not going to. We were made for God. Now, I know we say that all the time. Okay, we say it so much it's cliche. Well, that's good because it's true. God has made us for himself. Nothing else will satisfy our human hearts. Our infinite desire was meant to be satisfied by the infinite one. See how this is all related? To rest. Can't just make it one more comment on this. Just think about how much our restlessness is exacerbated by the little computers in our pockets. Think about it. They are, we are constantly bombarded with things to buy, aren't we, as we scroll? Right? And they are tailored to our particular taste, what we're into at the moment. Right? So, you know, six months ago, all I saw was cycling gear, right? Cycling clothing, cycling. Now, can you guess what I'm seeing now? Yeah, puppy stuff, right? Because we've got a dog in our house. All I'm seeing is stuff for the puppy, food for the puppy. I'm like, how do they do this? They're watching. Scary. Now, I know there's science and all that kind of stuff behind and they're data mining or whatever it is, but right? personally cultivated to our desires, to make us want. And think Instagram and all that kind of stuff, seeing other people's perfectly cultivated lives. just They're just cultivating a tiny 1% of their life for you to see. And how does it make us feel? It makes us dissatisfied. All of that stuff just throwing fuel on the fire of our restlessness. Is there any hope? Yes, there is. You know where I'm going. Thank God there is. See, we're crazy to think our desire for rest is just a physical one. Of course, they're related, but your soul is longing for real rest. Look at this invitation that Jesus offers. You've seen it before. You've heard it before. I've spoken about it many times. Let's see it again, maybe with fresh eyes. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage in the message. Are you tired? (laughs) Anyone tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. How good's that line? I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Friend, are you tired? are you weary? If so, good. Then just maybe you'll yearn for the Savior and Redeemer of this world, Jesus Christ, who longs to offer it to you. Real rest. You see, anyone can enjoy a day off. Praise God, we live in a society that in, in, gives us a weak hand. Any Christian or not, anyone can enjoy a day off, but only the gospel of Christ, if we let it, can give us true rest because only the gospel offers real peace, true contentment, true satisfaction. And it's into this deep truth that we dive into the Sabbath. That's why I think part of church church should be maybe part of our Sabbath practice because we gather together to remember these beautiful truths that we are more than what we do. We learned that last week. Our identity doesn't come from what I do, but who I am in Christ. If you're anything like me, you're really good at forgetting that. So we need to meet and encourage each other to do just that. Who I am in Christ is already ours. Amen. That's a source of real rest. Okay, we'll finish up in a moment. Finish up in a moment. Stay with me. You might be thinking, sounds good, Dave. Wow, well, okay, we've got some theology about it. I understand, you know, how the Sabbath worked in Israel and, and, you know, how it was maybe warped by the modern day church. But, all right, I'm kind of convinced I might need to do rest a bit differently or do rest for the first time. Where do I get started? How do I implement this? Great question. Let's have a think. I think start with a section of time. A whole day might be too intense for you. Right, it may be too much for you, but I would recommend at least stringing a few hours together a morning or an afternoon. It's a good start, better than nothing. But what day? Whatever works for you. Sunday is obviously a work day for me, so Sunday is not my day. I have another day where I try and do specific things that I'll talk about in a moment. Pick any day. If you're a shift worker, it might be difficult, but pick a time, a regular time if you can, and get started. Okay, let's have a look. Well, before I look at what I should do, what should I not do? Because remember, God said he blessed the day and made it holy. That just means holy means set apart, different. The day should look different from the other days. So let's have a look. What should we take out? First thing, pretty obvious, work. Don't work on this particular set of hours or a day. Don't work. Turn the email off. Turn the email notifications off, turn social media off, write the out of office, do whatever you got to do. I actually think it takes a lot of work to rest well. It might sound like a contradiction, but we've got to wor- work to get the rest well. We've got to do some planning, some structuring, which is why I've not been so good in the past, getting better now. I need to confess, I've been very lazy with my boundaries. I'd get home from work and 10 minutes later, I'm checking my phone, checking the emails. Why? What is going on? I am not that important. That's a direct quote from my wife. You are not that important. Put that phone down. Amen. Preach it, sister. That's exactly right. It's a terrible habit. I don't need to check email at home. I don't need to check email on my day. In fact, not doing that is an act of worship because it's in God's hands because he's creator and I'm created. I can't be all things to all people. You with me? You see what's going on? Okay. I think some of us won't do this because we can be very lazy in putting boundaries in place. All right. So, what, what are we not doing on a Sabbath? Work. What's something else we could not do? Buying and selling. What do you mean? There's a church that did a whole seven week series on the Sabbath, which I, I got some great content from. And I'm thinking, man, one sermon's not enough. We need to do a series on this. But anyway, we will revisit this topic again. Don't worry. But they made this great comment. I love it. Practicing the Sabbath is an act of resistance in a society addicted to the twin drugs of accomplishment and accumulation. Right? We live in a consumerist society, like I said before. We're, that's pretty cool. It's an act of resistance because we are addicted to accomplishment and accumulation. So on Sabbath, we step away from that. Right? I am more than the stuff I produce and the stuff I get. Don't get more stuff on the Sabbath. If if the Sabbath's about having a day that's different, what could be more different than removing ourselves from consumerism just for one day? We could think about that. By the way, this is just guides, of course. There's no legalism here. It's freedom. I'll talk about that more in a second. But this is just freedom. So we could could not work. We could not do buying and selling. What else? Worry. We could try and get rid of worry. What do I mean by that? How is that possible? Our brains and souls need a break from taxing decision-making. Doing it 24-7 burns us out. Brings on anxiety and stress, right? So, let's try and disengage from the mental hard work of big decision-making. So, what do I mean? I think the Sabbath is not a day to do your taxes it's not a day to do do your budgets. It's not a day for difficult, big decisions. Like I said before, we might have to plan the working week differently, evenings and different other times to do these things, not on our day off. Okay, so we take away worry, take away buying and selling, maybe take away work. (gasps) What do I do then? What do I do on the day? Well, here's the good news. There's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of freedom in what we can do. The big idea is, what delights you? What replenishes you? How can you rest your body and refresh your soul every week? There's a lot of freedom. What would it take for you you to be in that place? I talked about all the way at the beginning of the service, remember? I painted that picture of you waking up and having that. What would it take for you to be there? It's going to be different for everybody. What would it take for you to get to the end of the Sabbath, wake up the next day and think, I can do this. I have got a big day, I got a full week, I can do this, and I know that in six days' time, I can do it again, right? So you might be a bit like me. I like my lists, I'm a bit type A, like, okay, but what am I gonna do? What am I we... hold on? It's not about lists, remember. But chill out, I'm talking to myself, chill out first. But there's a lot in our rich Christian history to draw from. In doing just a little bit of research, I came up with these ideas, right? Lighting of candles. I might sound a bit weird, but lighting of candles. Feasting, I like that one. Singing, reading of scripture, lovemaking, walking, napping. Who thought napping could be a spiritual thing? Time with family or close friends, time alone in the quiet. I got your attention with that lovemaking, didn't I? Oh, yeah. You're thinking, okay, okay, this Sabbath thing, I can do it. Honey, I can do this. All right. Basically, it's a day to stop, rest, and delight. Does this sound like a gift? Guys, this is an invitation. It's not a demand. We're a people of grace. It's an invitation to learn, I think, what Eugene Peterson said, the unforced rhythms of grace. Isn't that beautiful? an invitation to grow, to mature, to be blessed. Now, if you're thinking, eh, I don't think this is for me, I'd love to challenge you to ask yourself why. What is going on in your heart to reject something like this? It's worthy of going there and asking. Spend some time with God. Be honest with him. <laughs> why am I? If you can't stop, why? Worth going there. Okay, we're going to end in a moment. We are about to share in communion the Lord's Supper together. And can I use that as a bit of an illustration of when we're talking about practicing the Sabbath? Why do we share in the Lord's Supper together? Why? Christ talked about it in the Scriptures, absolutely. But here's, I think, a great reason. It's another way to remember the Gospel. How do we remember the Gospel? Someone gets up here on Sunday and preaches from God's Word Reminding us of what Christ did for us in His life, death, and resurrection—that's one way. Another way is meeting throughout the week in small groups, opening the Word, encouraging each other. Right? Uh, Other way. There's lots of singing—you know, singing the words, beautiful words—and we remember what Christ did for us. What's another way? The Lord's Supper—a tangible way where we take elements, food, right, drink, and we ingest them. It's another way to remember the gospel, Christ's body is represented by the bread, his blood represented by the wine. It's another way to remember the gospel. Why am I talking about this? Because practicing the Sabbath is another powerful way to declare your allegiance to another kingdom, not the kingdom of this earth, but the kingdom of Jesus Christ. See?